I hate this. Self-created holidays to sell more crap to people that don't need it. You know what, guys? I'm going to fly to Seattle. We're going to have a Prime Day party at John's place. That's what we need to do. Right. Right? I like it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Biden's talking about July 4th. I say Prime Day, baby. Prime Day party at John's house. Consume, consume, consume. We can do it. We can do it, people. Let's (laughs) turn this country around. We're coming back. Hi, welcome to day two, GeekWire's podcast about everything Amazon. From GeekWire.com in Seattle, I'm Todd Bishop. And I'm John Cook. We're joined on this episode by Jason Boyce, our resident expert on the day two podcast. He runs the e-commerce consultancy Avenue 7 Media. He's a former Amazon seller and the co-author of the book, The Amazon Jungle. Hi, Jason. Hey, guys. How's it going? Well, Amazon had a huge quarter, and we're going to talk about it on this special hot take edition of the Day 2 podcast. Amazon's first quarter revenue was $108.5 billion, up 44% year over year. Profits were $8.1 billion, which was another record. Earnings per share were $15.79, up about triple from the prior year. And this just is astonishing in many different ways. We're going to talk about different takeaways, different things that stood out to us. Jason, what's your big picture overall thought after reading this earnings report? I I just keep walking around going, wow, this is enormous growth. And a company this big just shouldn't be able to grow this fast. 44% is incredible. This is the company of a generation and they're continuing to eat the world. Just as an example, Amazon's online store sales were $52 billion in the first quarter. If you compare that to the first quarter of 2020, now it was up quite a bit from about $36 billion. Did you read anything into that, Jason? It's hard to tell because they're not releasing gross merchandise value. We don't know what the gross dollar of goods sold on their platform was. We've, we talk about this on the show and just, you know, for our listeners, when a third-party seller sells a $100 item, for example, on amazon.com, Amazon takes on average 15% of that sale. They call it the take rate. It's the seller fee. Amazon's only reporting $15 of that sale. So without seeing those GMV numbers, it's hard to read too much into it. AWS is growing, but I mean, Brian Osofsky, the CFO, said on the call that third-party seller services increased by 60%. So no, to answer your question, Todd, that's a long answer to your question. I I don't read too much into it. In my opinion, third-party sellers are still the cash cow. They they like to talk about AWS, but clearly the e-commerce business, specifically third-party sellers, is growing at an incredible rate. Yeah, AWS sales were $13.5 billion, up from about $10 billion in the same quarter last year. By the way, Brian Olsofsky, for those who don't know that name, it's not a household name necessarily. He is Amazon's chief financial officer, and he's the numbers guy behind all of this stuff. And, and he definitely stays behind the scenes, except on these quarterly earnings days. But he accidentally slipped up this time around and made some news, at least on the reporter call. He inadvertently, I think, revealed that Prime Day will be in June of this year. And 
it's reached the point with Prime Day for me where I've had a hard time tracking when it's happening, when it usually happens. There have been enough anomalies in Prime Day over the past couple of years that I frankly have lost track. But Jason, I know this is really important for third-party sellers. This is basically Amazon's attempt to create a second holiday during the year. Can you get us up to speed on Prime Day, the timing and the significance of it potentially being in June of this year? Yeah, sure. I mean, this is one of the things that drives sellers crazy is when they don't give sellers enough time to prepare for Prime Day. So here's another example. Um, you know, the fact that they let it slip, why not just tell everyone when it is? I, I don't understand why they continue to try to hide it. Uh, interestingly enough, on the investor call, they didn't mention June. I was waiting for it because they slipped up on the reporter call, but they didn't mention it. And so, you know, retailers in the old days used to have Christmas in July. Why in July? Because school's out. Everyone's going on vacation. Sales are dipping. Let's do some big sales and get folks into the stores and try to get one more last hurrah before you know the dog days of the summer and retail happen um, and, and pump up those re retail numbers. And so that's when Prime Day was. It was typically you know Christmas in July. It was in July fifteenth to pump up those slow numbers. Last year, of course, I think it really helped their Q four numbers. But last year it dropped in October, and most folks thought that they're trying to extend the holiday shopping season earlier because of the incredible demand put on their infrastructure, their supply chain. And it worked. I mean, a lot more folks bought Christmas gifts in October than probably ever before um, as a result of moving it. And now it just looks like it's just this hot, movable hockey puck that they keep moving to try to help pad their year over year numbers. And um, I wish they'd just pick a date and stick with it, honestly. It's funny. And John, I want to let you jump in here for just a second. But a reporter proposed that thesis that you just said in a question to Brian Olsofsky on the earnings call, Jason, that they're basically moving it around to prop up earnings in a given quarter. Your next question comes from Jason Del Rey with Recode. Question about Prime Day. Can you give any color on, on the why behind moving it up? You know, I've heard speculation that, you know, it could help with what'll be a potentially a tough second quarter comp the last year's like in the throes of pandemic second quarter. Any color there would be appreciated. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, hi, Jason. Um, I'm sure you know us well enough to know that that's anathema to our culture. And, um, you know, we optimize uh, around customer experience, not anything else. So likewise, I think we're pretty transparent on uh, generally the impact of large events like Prime Day. So uh, let's put that off to the side. Um, because that certainly doesn't factor into our, our uh, thought process at all. But what I will say is, you know, last year we had intended to uh, move the date up. Um, there's some sensitivity around um, transportation and availability of uh, inbound transportation in that early part of July with July 4th holiday. But I would say uh, generally um, we're going to try it in June because uh, um, I didn't give the date away, but came close, didn't I? Um, we are going to do it at a date where we think it'll get uh, more attention from customers, it'll be better for customers, but also better for our partners, seller, selling partners and also uh, our vendors. He took offense to that. <laughs> he, he was very clear that at the very least, as far as he's concerned, that is just, uh, just absolutely not true. <laughs> so. Yeah. Take that for what it's worth. It would be like taking offense to Groundhog Day and Punxsutawney Phil or whatever his <laughs> name is, you know? 
<laughs> I, I can't stand. What's his name, Todd? What's the guy? What's Money Phil? Yeah, Punk's that's right. Phil. Okay. Are you yeah, saying I, that like moving that around? They would never yeah, move that. I know. I hate. I hate this self-created holidays to sell more crap to people that don't need it. Anyway, I'm off that soapbox. I, I can't stand <laughs> any of those types of holidays or activities or what they are. So, And we should say that obviously Amazon did not invent this. As Jason said, traditional retailers, I think Nordstrom had its uh, you know semi-annual sale, whatever it was called. And Alibaba was really the master of this with Singles Day in China, which I think is what Amazon is truly modeling here. Yes, I, di- I dislike all of them. <laughs> dislike all of these self-created uh, holidays to sell more crap. You know, Todd, what stood out to me was reading the press release and seeing the quote from Jeff Bezos, because I just thought it was really quirky and kind of corny how he described two of the products at Amazon. Here's how he said it. Two of our kids are now 10 and 15 years old. That's how he starts it out and then goes on to reference Prime Video and AWS reaching the 10 and 15 year mark. It was just weird that, you know, and I guess I bring it up because it speaks to how emotionally involved Jeff Bezos is in this company. I mean, this is a family. These are his kids. He is going to defend them to the hilt. He's going to talk about them in this family-like atmosphere. It's just, it just really struck me the language he chose to describe these two products, which have had enormous success, but it's not just like, wasn't the typical business person language to describe how Prime Video is doing in AWS. It was a little creepy, right, John? A little weird. It was just, yeah, (laughs) it was weird. It was weird. And I taught up, my question to you was, I know Bezos typically doesn't appear on the earnings calls. He usually has other executives manage those. I can't remember though if he typically appears in the press releases. I think he does. He does. So this is he not does. uncommon. Yeah. But this would perhaps be the last time, right, that he will be uh, in the press release as the CEO of Amazon because in the third quarter, presumably, when we're going over earnings, it's going to be Andy Jassy, CEO of Amazon. I think you're right, John. I think that Jassy will be the person who's quoted in in the release. It struck me that the first thing they talked about on the earnings call with the analysts today was AWS. And it, I kind of wondered if maybe Olsofsky was perhaps sucking up a little bit to the new boss. <laughs> there. <laughs> Here's what I think it is, why they tout AWS. Because AWS justifies Amazon as a technology company. And then you can justify the crazy market valuation of Amazon. I mean, if Amazon were just an online retailer and didn't have AWS, it would be harder to make this case that it's this like extremely cutting edge. I mean, you they still would be a very cutting edge, innovative company. But AWS pushes them into this territory of a technology software juggernaut that those companies get valued at immensely higher values than just a traditional retailer. And the profit margin on AWS is is way higher as it typically is in other software-oriented businesses. So I think, especially when they're playing to the Wall Street crowd, as they are doing here on the earnings releases, it makes a lot of sense to tout AWS, in my opinion. 
Now, I will tell you that if you said to Jay Carney, Amazon's policy chief, that Amazon is owing its market value and a lot of its success to AWS, he would also push back on you because his point is that the consumer business has been profitable for a number of years, which is something that Amazon tries to get across in response to people who are saying that it's effectively losing money or running on thin margins on the retail side to be able to compete more effectively with other retailers using AWS as essentially a crutch, and they will deny that. True. But Todd, let me ask you this. If you were, and we're not breaking up Amazon, at least it's not happening yet. But if if you were, which business would you rather take? The AWS business or the online e-commerce business? Oh, what do you? What would no you question. rather have? Yeah, there's no question what you'd take. Before you answer, let me run some numbers by you. So yeah. if, if the GMV in 2020 from third-party sellers was $300 billion. Gross merchandise value. Yeah, the gross merchandise value, if it was $300 billion and the average take rate is 15%, that's $45 billion. That's already at a run rate. And that's just for letting other sellers do the work and list a product on their site. That's not including FBA fees. That's not including ad revenue. And guess who's paying the ad revenue? Sellers. Well, the, the run rate on AWS is $54 billion. This year, last and, year, it was in the 40s. Yeah. And I guess then you just have to look at the profit margin. I, I don't know what it is on third-party sellers on Amazon versus the profit margin on AWS. Hey, look, AWS profit margin is amazing. No, let, let's, you know, that, it absolutely is. But I, I just am always amazed that they don't talk about the profit margin from what I believe is certainly driving more profit dollars to the bottom line. Okay, just to throw some some actual numbers into the mix here, we do know that Amazon Web Services, the cloud division of Amazon, in the first quarter of this year posted $13.5 billion in revenue, up from $10 billion in the same quarter last year. On that $13.5 billion in this quarter, they posted $4.1 billion in profit. So $13.5 billion in sales, $4.1 billion in profit. Now, I do want to also point out, we actually do know what Amazon reports as its revenue from third-party seller services, $23.7 billion in this past quarter. Hmm. So that's out of $108 billion in revenue. Do you know what the profit is on that? No, that is not something that they break out. So you've got roughly on the AWS revenue in the quarter, Todd, give me that number in profit again. So the profit is, now to be clear, this is operating income. So it's before yeah. certain expenses like taxes and those sorts of things, but it's $4.1 billion, 4.2 rounding up profit in AWS. That's a pretty good profit margin. That's oh. huge. Yeah, see, <laughs> this, this, is, this is back to my point of why they yeah. talk a lot about AWS because the business yeah. is absolutely phenomenal. I mean, that yeah. is that's a crazy profit margin. Yeah, I mean, so then it's and it's growing super fast and it's really innovative in terms of the new services they're layering on top of it. So I think it makes a lot of sense for them to talk about AWS. You know, the, the advertising is an interesting piece as well. What they do is they have an other category in the earnings that is typically considered primarily advertising revenue. And that was $6.9 billion in this past quarter, up from $3.9 billion. 77%. Yeah. So, th so this is an interesting one to me because 
all of those ad, we're talking about sponsored ads, which are pay-per-click ads on Amazon to an Amazon listing or demand side platform, Amazon DSP. Think of them as Facebook ads, digital banner ads on Amazon properties, on affiliate, Amazon affiliates, and on the Comscore, you know, whatever, 500 websites where there's banner ads. Sellers are paying for those ads and they're driving traffic from some other website or Amazon property to an Amazon listing. All of that ad revenue, unlike Facebook, drives to one place, Amazon. So think about that for a second. They're number three and they're gaining quick on Google and Facebook by only driving traffic to their website. Now, now Todd, we had another podcast earlier in the year about the sales acquisition, about coming up with a SaaS e-commerce software play. To jog everybody's memory on that, that was Amazon's acquisition of Cells, which is the company that provides services to traditional retailers for online sales. So a competitor with Shopify, essentially. And so imagine if they take that Cells acquisition or another product and they offer their own Shopify knockoff of being able to offer .com websites to the millions of third-party sellers with inventory and FBA. And they turn DSP from not just pointing onto Amazon, but to onto other websites. Think about the growth potential of Amazon ads revenue. If they not only drive traffic to Amazon, but they also drive traffic to off Amazon properties. Whoa, that's going to be a big growth rate when and if that happens. That's got to make Facebook nervous. That's got to make Google nervous. That's got to make Shopify nervous as well, I would think. To your point, though, that's got to be a moment where Amazon has to sit there and say, do we really want to do this? And there's been a lot of internal hand-wringing over the years about the impact of sponsored posts, sponsored placements inside product search results. And this would just be the latest in that trend without giving anything away, I should say. Coming up on a future episode of Day 2, we do have Brad Stone, the author of the new book, Amazon Unbound, and this will no doubt be a topic there on that conversation of the Day 2 podcast. Jason, I want to clarify something. You confused me a little bit. There are two DSP acronyms in the Amazon universe. What right. is the DSP to which you refer? That's the Amazon Advertising DSP. It stands for Demand Side Platform, which is the description of basically digital banner ads. Uh, that drive traffic to a property. And then, of course, the the delivery DSP is the other one you're referencing, right? Delivery service partner. That's right. And in fact, there was some interesting news dropped almost as an aside on the Amazon earnings call about that. And I want to get to that when we come back. You're listening to Day 2, GeekWire's podcast about everything Amazon. And we'll be right back after this. Welcome back. It's Todd Bishop with John Cook from GeekWire, joined by our day two podcast collaborator, Jason Boyce. We are breaking down Amazon's earnings. We've talked about the third-party sales, Amazon Web Services, a little bit about advertising. And I know, Jason, we're going to have to maybe make that the subject of a full podcast in the future. Absolutely. But I want to point out what happened with Amazon's employment in the past quarter, because it was a bit of an anomaly. Amazon actually shrunk. They shrunk by 27,000 jobs, which sounds enormous. It sounds just crazy. I mean, 27,000 jobs. I mean, 
there are there are companies that are substantial that aren't that big. John, how many employees does Zillow have? Do you, do you remember? <laughs> Gosh, probably around five thousand. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. so Amazon drops twenty seven thousand people, and it's just kind of a blip. It's a little bit more than two percent. They went from uh, almost one point three million people. Uh, full and part-time employees, not contractors or temporary workers, just full and part-time employees. They went from about 1.3 million people in the fourth quarter to about 1.271 million <laughs> in, the, in the first quarter. Now, this was interesting in part because it's actually pretty common for Amazon to have flat or declining employment in the first quarter of every year because they've ramped up for the holiday season and they're kind of taking a breather and not hiring as much, at least in their operations and fulfillment part of the company. But this was, in terms of raw numbers, the single biggest consecutive quarter decline in employment in Amazon's history, 27,000 positions. And it was kind of like a shoulder shrug, like, yeah, it's just, we're just returning to normal. The notable thing was this did not happen last year in the first quarter, because if you remember what was happening in the first quarter of 2020, the pandemic was on the horizon and Amazon was already staffing up. Todd, my question is, how many AI bots or Kiva robots does it take to replace 27,000 jobs? Here's the thing. Here's the fascinating thing in all of this. I think for some employers out there, the robots can't come fast enough right now. And they might not have been saying that back in 2019. What we're seeing coming out of the pandemic is that a lot of the extension of employment benefits is actually creating a disincentive for people to go back to work. And Amazon and some others are facing some problems trying to get people to, to come out for 15 bucks an hour. Uh, and that can be a challenge. And I actually asked Brian Olsofsky, the CFO, about that on the media call. And he, to some extent, downplayed the impact of that on Amazon. But it's a difficult market for companies that are trying to hire people in that hourly range, somewhat close to 15 to $20 an hour in many regions of the country right now. Of course, all of this came in a week when Amazon said it would boost the pay for about 500,000 of its operations workers by anywhere from 50 cents to $3 an hour. So clearly that was good news for its workforce and would not hurt its hiring ability. So Todd, I saw your story on this and the the chart you put with it, which was really interesting. Like what what's the big picture of what's going on here? I I'm trying to figure out why this happened. It's relatively normal. So if you go back to 2018, for example, Amazon had a bigger percentage decline between the fourth and the first quarter. This is really, in my mind, just a return to the relatively normal pattern that happens after the fourth quarter, where they take a bit of a, a breather on their hiring at the very least. And in Q1 of 2020, January, February, March 2020, they were starting to see the impact of the pandemic and were already starting to ramp up maybe more aggressively. That's what they say. Yes. Okay. And then I guess, so when you look at this, it's probably a blip because when we're talking about the growth in all these other segments of their business, I mean, from Prime Video to AWS to traditional physical retail, I mean, they're growing pretty aggressive advertising they're growing pretty aggressively so you're only going to think that the headcount is going to really accelerate even further here i have to say in the back of my mind as i was seeing this and listening to their explanation i did wonder if there might not have been some kind of culling of the herd effectively perhaps even at corporate now certainly those numbers are not anywhere on the level of 
what Amazon employs in its operations. So it would be harder for that kind of cutback to have an impact on the overall number these days now that it's you know more than 1.2 million people. That said, I, I wonder sometimes when we see these blips and they happen at these certain moments, whether they might make sure they happen at certain moments so they can provide an alternative explanation such as, oh, that's our normal post-holiday dip. I don't know the answer to that. I, I do know that sometimes games can be played with with these numbers and the underlying trends. Yeah. Well, 27,000 folks, as you said, it's nothing to shake a stick at. So, I mean, it's interesting to see what what's behind those numbers. I'm, I think we should keep digging into that. Along these lines, the one other interesting number that stood out to me was 100,000. And that was the number of delivery service partners, employees that Amazon said have been hired. Now, DSPs, Todd? DSPs, the other DSPs. You know, this is what yes. I, I was laughing about this when you guys were talking about DSPs earlier. Amazon yeah. is so gosh darn big now. They've got, they've got conflicting uh, <laughs> acronyms. Well, they're doubling up on their acronyms. <laughs> I, I don't think the demand side platform acronym is unique to Amazon, though. That's true, yeah, right? That's they, true. Yeah. But yeah. they operate yeah. one. Yeah, they just happen to have a conflicting acronym in another part of their business. But let's make it clear what we're talking about when we talk about delivery service partner DSPs. These are independent companies that contract with Amazon to deliver its packages. In other words, the people who are employed by these companies are not technically Amazon employees. It's very similar in some ways to the contract workforce that Microsoft or others have, where Amazon doesn't have to worry about the insurance liabilities, the benefits, other issues for these types of workers because they are employed essentially through these independent companies that contract with Amazon. So that 100,000 number I gave earlier are delivery drivers of Amazon packages, largely in Amazon uniforms, mostly driving Amazon vans, not employed by Amazon, which to me is a fascinating trend in all of this. Yeah, that's that's an interesting one. And I always scratch my head. Amazon does some fancy footwork and a lot of legalese to create these in-between DSPs to allow them to have this contract workforce that they can spin up or more importantly, take down quickly without having to pay all of the benefits of say UPS. I think it's a tremendous advantage. We could talk about the morality of it perhaps at another time, but this is a huge advantage for their logistics platform. And a couple other things that they just sort of dropped in there. Most packages they mentioned were being delivered by AMZL, Amazon Logistics today. And as that just sort of rolled off their tongue, I thought, wow, I wonder how UPS feels about that. And you know, they really zeroed in on the advantages of having their own delivery driver force, this control flow from warehouse to customer, from batch flow process to flow of products and information. It allows for more precise deliveries. It, it, it allows them to extend cutoff times, all things that they really couldn't do when they were dependent on FedEx and UPS and USPS for deliveries. So this is this is sort of, again, another one of those just sort of asides that they slipped in there, but their supply chain is unbeatable. Big picture, you look at this quarter and the $8 billion in profits, and you realize that what was happening last year in part was that the COVID spending, $5 billion in some quarters, if I remember correctly, was masking what was really a more successful company than we even recognized at the time. Now, granted, there's two sides of that, right? 
COVID was simultaneously fueling their sales and also causing them to have to spend more on precautions and safety. But what I think you're seeing here now as we're emerging from the pandemic potentially is the true trend of Amazon's profits. And that has to raise huge issues in terms of antitrust and market power. Now, granted, I know profits do not equate market share. Those two different things, yet they do speak big picture to Amazon's success. And that success is certainly a target right now of regulators and legislators. So uh, I wonder where this is going to go. Well, the investment during COVID was probably money well spent because a lot of the analysts looking into this quarter, Todd, were talking just about this. They were wondering whether the buying patterns that people established during COVID over the past 12 months, whether they're going to stick or whether people are going to return to a more traditional way of shopping. And this quarter is painting a picture that they're sticking and they're probably accelerating. And that's only setting the stage for Amazon to get bigger and stronger and increase their profits going forward. That is so true, John. And you go back to Bezos' letter just a week or two ago, and what does he point out? He talks about the convenience of what Prime and Amazon provides to the average shopper. They went from 150 million Prime subscribers to more than, that's the key words, more than 200 million. He didn't say the total number. It's it's definitely more than, that's a 33% increase in Prime customers that get tremendous value tailor-made for COVID. Not only do you get your stuff delivered, your groceries delivered in, you know, one hour, you know, a couple hours a day or two days, you also can watch the latest movies on Prime Video. You can listen to mu- music. And I got to tell you, I don't think, and this was the big question mark. It wasn't, it was almost like every analyst knew that Amazon was going to have a blowout quarter. The real question was, what do you think is going to happen in Q2? Right. And will Amazon give back some of that growth that they had because of COVID related issues year over year? But this is something that Olsofsky said Q2 expectations, we see continued strength. And I can tell you on the ground level from the seller community that I talk to, they're not seeing any slowdown in growth for them. They're not seeing any slowdown in how hard it is to get in from inventory into FBA centers. We're almost through April now. I don't think Amazon sees Q2 slowing down. Oh, and to the point of our earlier discussion, June is in Q2. And uh, whether or not they intended for that sales bump to happen in the quarter that's going to end in June, it will, uh, at least based on the slip. I just can't wait for Prime Day, Todd. Just can't wait. Man, I wish they would just tell me. I wish they would just tell me so I can mark my calendar. I want to buy so much stuff this Prime Day. I'll tell you what, John, I will send you my Amazon wish list. We'll solve this problem. You can just buy on my behalf. Anything you on want. Prime Day. Anything Thank you, you want. Just get in the spirit, Anything. man. Just all I'm asking is get in yeah. the Prime Day spirit. I want to get into it. I'm going to get into it this year. You know what, guys? I'm going to fly it. to Seattle. We're going to have a Prime Day party at John's place. That's what we need to oh, do. Right. right. I like it. Yeah, yeah, you know, Biden's talking about July 4th. I Perfect. say Prime Day, baby. Prime Day party at John's house. Everybody on their smartphones, in their apps. Consume, consume, consume. We can do it. Yeah. We can do it, people. Let's <laughs> turn this country around. We're coming back. <laughs> All right. Jason Boyce is a former Amazon seller who runs the e-commerce consultancy Avenue 7 Media, co-author of the book, The Amazon Jungle. John Cook is GeekWire's co-founder. 
I'm the other GeekWire co-founder, Todd Bishop. We will link from the show notes and the associated post on geekwire.com to everything we talked about. If you were confused by a number that I threw out, there are charts and graphs and all sorts of analysis on geekwire.com. Don't forget, if you like day two, GeekWire's podcast about everything Amazon, please subscribe. And if you are so inclined, give us a rating and a review in your favorite podcast app. Jason and John, I like this. This should be a new tradition after Amazon earnings. What do you think? I'm in. Let's do it. Sign me up. Awesome. Until next time, you're listening to day two from GeekWire.